0: Welcome to the Dow of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I'm Doug Belshaw.
1: And I am Laura Hilliger. This podcast season is currently unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com/slash we are open.
0: So, Laura, this is the last episode of season three which means it's our opportunity to talk about whatever we like. What have you got?
1: Oh, well, we could go in a lot of different directions. I have been rummaging around in my digital closet for the past couple of months, and I have found loads of stuff from co-op work, which we could chat about. Cool. Um, I think we could chat a little bit about... I don't know, other stuff we do on the internet. I know you've got a couple of other projects that aren't co-op projects or you write like 12 blog posts a day somehow. <laughs> we could talk about some of those. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, so why don't we start with the co-op stuff, given that the co-op does actually um, kind of help support us with this endeavor to some degree. Yeah. Um, the thing which I think we're probably both most pleased with Over the last couple of months, is the launch of a new site that our intern's been working on? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, learn with. So, we did a little bit of a, would you call what we did uh, on March 1st a media blitz? Not really, because.
0: It was the kind of 2022 version of a media blitz. Yeah. Um, Shall we kind of reveal the secret sauce?
1: I think so. Why not?
0: So, um, tragically, I learned this. The tech, this technique. When a good friend of mine passed away, with whom I did the previous podcast I was involved in, which was today in digital education. So when he passed away, I wanted to make sure that people who knew him via Twitter were aware of things to do with like his funeral, uh, remembrance things, you know, marking his death and stuff. And so I ended up um, direct messaging people on Twitter. He had quite a network on Twitter. Um, messaging them about, say, this tweet. Could you retweet this and more people find out in the network, whatever? Turns out that accidentally I learned how to growth hack on Twitter. Because if you have a tweet, which is an organic tweet and um, that you've typed in, and then you get other people to retweet and favorite it within the space of like a couple of hours, the algorithm goes nuts as in like it shares it to people who are one step removed, not even following you. So, um, yeah, we used that um, for Learn With We Are Open. And when the blog post went live and we tweeted about it, um, we had a, a hit list of people who we knew were friendly and are likely to retweet it. And we reached out to them and asked to retweet and favorite it, and they did. Um, and it went nuts. And Creative Commons ended up quote-tweeting us, which our intern, Anna, who did a lot of work on Learn With We Are Open, um, was very pleased about.
1: Yeah. She was very excited. Um, I thought that was very cool of creative commons and the folks behind the scenes who got that to happen. I think the secret with this growth hack is that it's not like a, I mean, this is a, it's not something we do every week for every stupid little thing, but stuff we're really proud of. And B, Um, this is one of those return the favor kinds of things. So like a lot of the people that we direct message about learn with are people that we have looked at their projects. We share their projects. I think the reciprocal nature of the network that, that I have, that you have, that we have collectively, um, it's one of the nicest things about working in the open.
0: Oh, for sure. Like I've unfollowed people before because, They literally, for every blog post they wrote every week, were trying to do that kind of thing. And it can be very spammy and stuff. But yeah, when you're calling in favors, that's why you have a network. And it got a lot of traction, and it was very nice. And this is all free and Creative Commons licensed resources, hence Creative Commons um, retweeting it. So people who are interested in this should go to learnwith.weareopen.coop and we'll put a link to the blog post about it in our show notes. But, for example, it's where the homepage, the canonical link for this podcast resides. Um, and if you've ever, only ever come across this via your whatever platform you, you get your podcasts on, um, all of our episodes of the Tao of WOW are embedded as SoundCloud embeds on um, learnwith.weopen.com forward slash podcast. But it was. what else is on there, Laura, for people who might not have seen this?
1: I mean, the thing that I'm so excited about is that Anna took, I mean, Anna took like years and years of our brains and made it something that, well, not our brains per se, but, you know, stuff, approaches that we use, tools that we use, spreadsheets, slides, diagrams, like all this stuff that we use to make sense of information, she took all of a, a very big mess of information ecosystem uh, about the co-op or from the co-op and turned it into something that has like templates and explanations. They're learning resources. Now there's stuff that anybody can use mm-hmm. and the, the templates look amazing. Everything looks like it belongs together. Um, And I'm I'm actually really excited that like the tools and approaches section is a growing catalog of different ways that people can work together in a digital environment and like get new ideas, figure out, you know, what's good, what's bad about a particular area of work. And there's just a a lot of thinking tools.
0: So as you said, it's um, it's all kind of in line with our brand guidelines, which we've had since what, last year, year before, yeah. which is a nice kind of color palette that um, Brian and um, you and others have come up with. Um, but we're using Google Slides to do the templates, and then we're putting those into Jamboard. What we found with Jamboard is that it's the lowest friction way of getting people to be like moving sticky notes around on a board kind of thing. Yeah. And actually one lord you just mentioned about it being years of our work which it is but in particular when we were helping a bunch of charities during the pandemic with some catalyst funded work we were you know we were kind of having to invent the templates and stuff on the fly um and so we've tidied those up explained how they work um, and put them in a site that Anna has made look fantastic.
1: Yeah,'m I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the catalyst charities because I think one of the biggest challenges um, for us during this, like working with charities who are just beginning to go through digital transformation was to find exercises that they could do online in a really simple way. Um, and so mm. a lot of these thinking tools would be super easy. Uh, for people who have been working in technology or open source or you know user centered design for so long, um, but for people who are rather new to working remotely, we needed to find ways to make it easy for them to be able to give their ideas and and that 's kind of you know how the beginning of this library came about and we keep adding things mm-hmm. um, so just this yeah, just recently um, we published a post called Audience Ikigai for the Greenpeace web strategy project that we're working on. And this is another template that we've created uh, to help people. So
0: for those who don't know what Ikigai is, it's uh, not good, like a disgusting male, is it?
1: <laughs> no. Um, guy is a way of figuring out how your talents and your passions and your... Um, what interest, you should be doing with of, your
0: life, kind of yeah,
1: thing. sort of how those things intersect. What you what you should be doing with your life, and it's a a Japanese technique. We'll send a link to the Wikipedia, um, and it's something that a lot of organizations use to help their staff like figure out which part of the organization they feel like they belong in, or you know, to to kind of understand each other, um, and so the. Yeah, it's a it's a get to know yourself kind of technique. Mm-hmm. Um, but we recently we have been looking into how how can a global organization like Greenpeace and specifically Greenpeace International communicate with its very specific audience um, because you know they've got millions and millions of users, they have millions of visitors who are looking at their content. So how do you direct? content to you know a specific user and we've been doing some research and stuff and we came up with this like a way of applying ikigai to audience um, that is super cool and could, uh, could work for you know could work for any organization uh, with a couple of tweaks so i think it definitely belongs on learn learn with because i was really excited to kind of go through that process and see what came out mm-hmm. of it
0: so on a really geeky like visual design note, and you know, Laura, that this is not my area of expertise. I'm currently working on a sailboat retrospective that, you know, just to let you behind the scenes, dear listener, Laura has criticized every single part <laughs> know, of no. the shitty boat that I drew it's... on my diagram because she's a sailor, right? <laughs> anyway... I'm currently making a new resource, but the icky guy one's interesting because the the kind of there was a, a viral blog post or tweet or whatever, which a Venn diagram has three overlapping circles, but when you have four circles, it's not a Venn diagram, and you can't make them all overlap like completely. So. A guy called David McCandless has this blog called and this project and this company called Information is Beautiful. I've got his book. And I remember a few years ago, he created like a proper overlapping set of ovals in a way which each of them intersected. So we've used a version of that for the icky guy. Um, and I think it looks awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely I lo- the thing I love about this audience ikigai thing is kind of how it came together because basically Doug and I and Anna were sitting in a Zoom call co-working as we sometimes do. We'll get together, we'll decide what needs to be done and then we'll just hang out in a Zoom call, maybe face mute mute mute, get some work done and then unmute or unface mute when we have a question, when we want to talk about stuff. And it's a, you know, it's a great way for the co-op to like hang out together. Um, And the way that this idea came about was us, like... I mean, it was really just an organic kind of ramble chat. Mm. Um, And then, you know, one of us... I think I said, "Icky, oh, we should do some kind of a crazy icky guy." And then Doug remembers this this organizational uh, or information is beautiful book. Uh, and then Anna was like, "Ooh, I, I have an idea for that." And it was really just like became this very cool collaborative piece of work. I don't know. Yeah, I and then you decided. went for
0: lunch, and by the time you came back, she'd pretty much done it. And then we yeah. tweaked it a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. When I
0: woke up this morning, you'd written a blog post. So yeah, that's how work happens in our co-op, I guess. Yeah. Um. Watch watch this amazing kind of smooth segue here, Laura. <laughs> one of the reasons we get to work so seamlessly in the COP is because we work openly. And one of the things that we try and help organizations whom we work with is to set open standards for their projects. One of the organizations that we've been working with over the last few months, uh Julie's Bicycle, one of um they they when we were talking about working openly. Um, there was a mismatch in terms of what was understood by that. And so, Laura, you wrote a blog post about setting open standards for your project based on the work that we've been doing for the last decade or more.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things here. I'm sure, you know, listeners who have listened to the show before or who read our posts and stuff, they've, they've probably come across some of these terms um, that are, that I include as, you know, the bare essentials to an open standards kind of framework. Um, so the architecture of participation is something that we've definitely talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of other like little bits and pieces that I think are really important when you are coming into an organization that, that maybe has never experienced open before, um, so some of those some of those resources can be used for advocacy um, to help leadership understand why open is a, a good idea and necessary. Um, some of them are used for organizing community, like the architecture of commun- um, participation. Some of them are you know really good for just to help people understand how open works and some of the like underlying ideas, like release early release often is something you hear in open source all the time, but how do you apply it to an organization that doesn't do code isn't writing code? What does that mean? How do you kind of break out of the behavior of holding things too close to the chest? Um, And so. uh,
0: Can you you remember a few years ago? In fact, it must be quite a few years ago. Now there was that academic paper that I well, a few of us used to refer to it quite often on first Monday called Fifty Shades of Open, mm-hmm. and one of the difficulties of using a word like "open" in English is that it means different things to different people. Like literally, so a door being open or a window being open versus people being open to experience or open for business or open in terms of the way that we're talking about here and open culture and open source. And I think one of the the really good things about this post is the way that you have visualized what is meant by open. So you've got the system ecosystem bit, which I want to ask a little bit more about in a moment, but you've got like the communication ecosystem and workflow, and I can remember when you did this, you were like, do I need to do this? This sounds super obvious, like surely, but for organizations that haven't worked openly before, it's really, really important. And the thing which they often don't get, I'm going to make a very spurious analogy here, is the link between stuff. Now, when I used to train teachers, they used to have amazing... They used to spend ages, like student teachers, making resources and figuring out what they were going to say at different parts of the lesson, but they didn't understand the how those things were going to link together. They'd have standalone things. And I think the point that you're making and we're making with the system ecosystem, which again comes from some of the Catalyst work and we're using here with Julie's Bicycle, is that... You might have some standalone stuff. Can people access it? How do they link between them? Is there Mm -hmm. a narrative and story? How do people get involved?
1: Yeah, I think I mean there's a couple of I think the system ecosystem is a really interesting thing because for a project like this one, for a project like Julie's bicycle, the system ecosystem is really related to how a project runs openly and what are the tools that the sort of the project team or the core team is using in order to com- communicate with the community or other stakeholders and that is one kind of s- system ecosystem and in tech um, a system ecosystem might just be a map of all of the systems that an organization is using, or for a particular piece of software, if it's something quite complex, that map is going to show you, you know, things like where microservices come in, where's the data bank, what's middleware, you know, so a system ecosystem can be a really simple thing, but it can also be like a massively complex piece of technical architecture. And I think in the past, people have tend to, tended to think... Okay, if it's a system ecosystem, then that's something that that's really complex. It's it's a mm. it's technical, um, but I think that using similar phrasing and implementing it in this rather simple communi- communication um, area is an interesting thing to do when you're kind of onboarding organizations or staff or people into the world of technology because at some found- point, mm. good.
0: I was going to say, what I found really interesting doing it with um, the Catalyst project, because we did it a few times, was that it was very, when you do it visually, it becomes very obvious where the bottlenecks and the problems are in your organization. And so many times it was like, well, you know, we don't have anywhere to kind of share when we talk to people and what the results of talking to people are. And you're like, oh, you mean a CRM? And they're like, what's that? And then... Mm -hmm like that is the missing piece of your puzzle or you know something which allows you to post between platforms like um zapier or something like oh wouldn't it be great if there was this tool that did this thing you're like of course there's that tool because other people have had that problem too and visualizing it really helps but people don't take the time to do that because they your reality especially when you're working remotely are the tools that you're using. You don't d- have to step back and think about it.
1: I think what's really funny about what you're saying right now is that, do you remember when we were putting together this exercise for, I think it was the, was it the definition? The Catalyst Definition Program, mm. I think. When we were putting together this exercise, we tested it on the co-op, and we made a system, ecosystem for the co-op, and we found all of these systems that we were not using, that didn't mm-hmm. connect together, that had outdated information, that we were paying, you know, server fees or whatever to maintain, and we, and we weren't using them. So even mm-hmm. just, you know, and it's, it, I mean, it's not an activity you need to do every single year or every, anything, but it is really interesting to take a look at what your, you know, your system, ecosystem actually is. So. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that whole post is um, great in terms of people getting to start getting started with working openly.
1: Yeah, um, we have a couple. Um, we have a couple how-to posts. Um, so we have this one, the how-to set up open standards, and then like on our architectures of participation uh, page on the website, which we'll also link to, we have um, how to use architectures of participation for your charity project or how to use it for open... Pro- we have a couple of different variations on some of these things um, that might be interesting if you're you know, looking for a lens, kind of. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've mentioned that we're doing some work. We've mentioned the Learn With We Are Open Site. We've mentioned um, some work that we're doing with Greenpeace. That's one project, and there's another one we can't mention. Um, there's the Julie's Bicycle work that we're pausing for a bit, but um, that's got a good base. Um, and then there's the work that we're doing with Participate, which is called Keep Badgers Weird. And there's a particular blog post that we've linked to here called Emergent Community Building. Now, Laura, you've just issued... Mark and Julie at Participate a badge today. And we don't issue many badges as a co-op. So what's so special about this one?
1: (laughs) Well, um, yes, we do not issue many badges, but we actually have decided that Mark and Julie at Participate, hi, Mark and Julie, uh, have earned the very rare and very coveted whiskey test badge, uh, which is a badge that Doug and I accidentally came up with what, like two weeks ago um, when we were talking about the kinds of collaborators that we like to work with. Um, and we, we were just kind of ramble chatting and we came up with this, this idea of a whiskey test, uh, which is essentially if you can show up to a meeting with a glass of whiskey and continue to just do what you need to do without having somebody look at you sideways, um, probably the person that you're collaborating with is, um, you know. Understanding of you and your vices, and maybe even laughing. I don't know how would you you explain the whiskey test?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it came from me saying that I I know I've made it in life when you know I can just drink whiskey in the middle of the day, like someone off Mad Men or or something like that. Um, and we joked about where the line would be drawn in terms of shooting up and stuff. <laughs> but there is something about accepting people as they. Are, and being able to have a bit of a laugh with people and stuff and we very much enjoy working with Mark and Julie and others at participate and the work we've been doing has been interesting too because it's been focused on focused on learning design open badges that it's been talking about but also communities of practice which isn't just the the way that you end the sentence communities it's actually a theory um, which what's up?
1: Oh, nothing. Just the cat is going absolutely bananas at the moment. <laughs> just like running around. Sorry, you looked a bit freaked out. <laughs> um,
0: I forgot what I was saying, but um, yeah, on the internet, people can't use the word community without adding "of practice" on the end. But it's not just any old community; it's an intentional one. Has value cycles, and we've been kind of doing that work together. And this week, we hit two hundred members of the Keep Audits Weird community, and there's all kinds of people in there. There's People are brand new to badges. There are like OGs. People have been around for more than 10 years. Um, a real mix of people. And we're issuing them badges, of course. Um, and we've got a new well, we've had a domain for a very long time, but we now actually get to use it.
1: Yeah. I yeah, I don't even remember when we bought that domain, but it's been a number of years. Mm. Um, and yeah, so if you go to badges.community, right now then you will be able to find uh the keep badges weird community you have an easy link to badge wiki it's just i mean it's literally just a signposting site but badges.community is really easy to remember and i mean we're excited to see what else
0: that we wanted to signpost people to um Badge Wiki, which is just literally badge.wiki. That's not a hard one to remember. Yeah. But the Participate platform in its current iteration, I think they're building a new version of it, um, has very long, unique URLs. Um, and it would take from now for a while to read out those urls so badges.community is a lot easier and um you can
1: just click i on mean the we could have get involved. i mean we could have just used like a bitly link or something but we happen to have badges.community and it is way cooler than a bitly link so
0: Much cooler yes way
1: cooler so we've i have been like... doing
0: some other cool stuff as well um we've already talked on previous episodes about um Brian going dormant, John rejoined the co-op, Anna being our intern, all that stuff's going on in the background as well.
1: It's been a pretty busy Q1. It actually.
0: really has. I'm not used to Q1s being this busy, no, especially usually, coming out of a pandemic. Oh my yeah, goodness.
1: usually, I mean, in the in the past, January has been like a nice month full of crickets when we can, you know, check our processes and build some stuff and like quietly plod forward. And, you know, New Year's haven't really like, gone crazy until you know about i don't know the first second week of february when people are back Mm. from you know winter slash summer breaks depending on where you are in the world um Mm. yeah and but this year no we i mean we really had to hit the ground running and there's lots going on which is interesting so
0: one thing i'm doing as you know in fact i'm meeting you in amsterdam is i'm going to the netherlands for 10 days now previously this would have been a you know reasonable size trip before the pandemic but having not traveled for two years
1: Mm.
0: going to the Netherlands doing a presentation my wife flying over hanging out with her then hanging out with you and your husband then hanging out with someone else then going and presenting in three different places in the Netherlands and then hanging out with someone on the Friday and then coming back home feels like a big thing and much bigger than it did previously and March is always busy and um i'm not only doing that but i'm also th- throwing into the mix um uh, perhaps too hastily planned walk of hadrian's wall which is the roman wall which goes across the north of england so yeah march is we're not going to be having a new season of this podcast until may when you're back probably
1: yeah yeah probably. I mean, I think it would be really interesting to hear from listeners. Maybe we should do some actual listener outreach. I mm-hmm. think that might be a way that we could you know keep keep the Dow of Wow kinda of going uh while we take a little pause <laughs> um but maybe we should yeah, maybe we should write a blog post and send it around use our secret growth hacking on I'm <laughs> kidding, I was kidding <laughs> uh twitter growth hacking no um yeah but but i think you know if you're listening to this and you're like oh no the dow of wow is going to be gone don't worry we'll be back um but it's getting a bit busy and this is the end of season three so you know we tend to take a undetermined length of time between seasons um, I just when
0: you were you know. saying all that right I've just realized that what we need to do because people do like this kind of stuff. And you might be listening to this thinking, I wonder how Laura and Doug like record the Tao of Wow and like publish it and stuff. And we could call that the how of wow.
1: Oh okay. <laughs> Mind blown the how of wow coming to a blog near you soon. The how I'm writing it down. There we yes. go.
0: The how of the Tao of WoW how.
1: Um,
0: is a blog post, which needs to happen. So right <laughs> um, on that bombshell, we're not going to end this episode. We're going to move on to talking about our newsletters. So um, Laura, you send out a newsletter at some point on a Friday. Why do you send out on a Friday?
1: Uh, because for me, it's not work. It's a labor of love. And I figure that to the- the weird eclectic output of my brain, uh, on a Friday morning or Friday afternoon, depending. Uh, yeah, I send it out. It's, I I mean, I send I send it out on Friday because I feel like it's so random and all over the place that it's not a thing that anybody really wants to read while they're in the middle of their week and trying to focus. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like my newsletter is particularly focused and so I wouldn't read a newsletter like mine unless it was like a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday. So oh, okay. that's why I, that's why I send it okay. out on Friday. Okay. Yeah. You're cool. on a monthly schedule now, right?
0: Yeah. So I have this annoying habit. Like I put more pressure on myself than anyone else in the world other than my dad when I was younger maybe. Um but
1: that's a <laughs> Hi, that's a different season.
0: Hi dad. Um, but having gone through therapy, not because of my dad, other reasons, um, I have realized that I'm quite hard on myself and I turn mm-hmm. things which used to be fun into things which are just work. And mm-hmm. so I turned my newsletter, Thought Shrapnel, into something which just ended up being work. So now doing it monthly, and what I do is I publish stuff on thoughtshrapnel.com and then I put it all together and wrap it up into a thing monthly. Um couple of things firstly, it takes the pressure off me. Secondly, no one ever goes to thoughttrapnel dot com apart from clicking through my newsletter, which is quite interesting well, I feel more.
1: like I feel like I have to resubscribe to your newsletter on a regular basis, and I'm not sure if it's me <laughs> or if I like accidentally unsubscribe or if I get thrown out um That's but weird. yeah. It is weird. Like, I, I, your newsletter for me is very sporadic. It's probably exactly once a month, but I feel mm. like it's sporadic. I'm not sure.
0: Does that, so I remember having this conversation with Brian Mothers. Hi, Brian, if you're listening. And he purposely makes his Dollop of Visual Thinkery newsletter have no fixed schedule because he wants to provoke delight.
1: Yes. Um, he so does too. That newsletter is very does delightful. Does my
0: newsletter provoke delight?
1: Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yes, I it definitely provokes. To, I I have to admit, I can, I don't read every single thing that you write. I usually I usually get into. There's only usually,
0: 30, 30 articles, Laura. I mean, how hard can it be?
1: <laughs> no, well, I read them all, along the month, anyways, uh, because you publish regularly. Um, but sometimes I, you know, I look at a title and I kind of skim, and I'm like, I, I don't have time for that, and then I forget, and my mm-hmm. pocket is like fifty percent thread thought travel
0: stuff. I have to say, my Fridays are not complete. Like, if you miss a Friday, I definitely notice. Um, I know you publish at different times and stuff, but I'm like, where is freshly brewed thoughts?
1: I have some other. There's some other newsletters that are, you know, on a on a random basis. I think that's a interesting. An interesting tactic and technique, I don't think that I could do random. Like, I need the... No, I
0: stand up not doing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Are there any particular newsletters? I know we haven't planned this, but are there any newsletters that you would recommend to listeners because you particularly enjoy them?
1: Oh, yeah, lots. So, um, I probably everybody that listens to this podcast is already subscribed to Dense Discovery, um, which is a newsletter that is... It's technology, product, art, uh, inspiration, and a very cool uh, climate-focused uh, person in Australia. There's, um, I like Super Grandular a lot. Do you get that one? Um, that one's very random um, and, you know, comes, comes just every once in a while. I, I have been thinking, I don't know if I should do this or not, but I have been thinking about unsubscribing from um what's it called now it's it used to be uh brain pickings um it's now called what yeah, is yeah
0: i now? unsubscribed from that quite a while ago yeah i was <laughs> like every time it comes i feel like i should read this and i never do
1: i do i read some of them i don't read all of them but i've noticed that in the past three four or five months or so um there's a lot of um, sort of repeats a lot of stuff that I've, you know, read and thought about in my own time, and I find myself deleting it a lot more. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I get quite a few newsletters. Um, I, I also get Brian's newsletter, and he does invoke delight whenever whenever I get it.
0: Um, I get a lot of newsletters. I'm trying to, so I subscribe to quite a few and some I've subscribed by RSS in Feedly mm-hmm. and some I subscribe by email Um, so one there's a guy called John Norton who's like been around forever and he writes in The Guardian and he's got one called Memex um, which he writes every single day from his house which I think is in the south of France Um, British guy and another British guy Dan Hon who lives in Silicon Valley he writes things which caught my attention and that is very sporadic, but some days it can be, sometimes it can be every single day and then yeah. nothing for three months. Orbital operations. Um I don't really want to go into the politics of Warren Ellis and stuff and getting canceled and that kind of thing. But um he is back after all of that. I think we might've mentioned in previous podcast. I can't remember. Um And I do enjoy his writing and his perspective on the world. And then, John Norton, Memex, kept referencing Andrew, what's his surname? Andrew Curry, who does one called Just Two Things every single day. And I found out that Andrew Curry is also a long-suffering Sunderland Football Club supporter. And I messaged him, and he emailed back straight away. And I'm a brand new subscriber, so that made me feel awesome.
1: Have you so, got an episode, minutes. or have you have you read it yet? The Just Two play? Things? Have you... You just said that you're a brand new subscriber. Have you already gotten your first newsletter from just two things?
0: Oh, sorry. When I mean brand new, I mean like three weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it is very good. And he's like a kind of academic futurologist, but also just interesting cultural stuff. And I think mm-hmm. you'd love it, Laura. What I've just noticed is that all my favorite newsletters are written by men. Um, but, and
1: mine. And mine. Come on.
0: Mm, that is true. Apart from the oh, Wow, episode, good but,
1: hesitation. I mean, um, the
0: connection isn't as good today I have to say for our recording it might be mine snap uh,
1: you shared we another um another newsletter and I'm um Aunt, um Ann Helen Peterson still oh yes to I her? did
0: actually start paying for hers mm-hmm. but then I realized that her target demographic is definitely women mm. Um, and so the stuff I was paying for was actually the, like, and like, I, I'm trying, I'm going to say this the way that I feel it, um, like a, a women's solidarity discord channel and mm-hmm. like stuff around that. And it, all of the recommendations for, if you go into the inner circle bit, were all like quite stereotypically things that women would like, mm-hmm. rom-coms, books to do with feminism that kind of stuff um so when i bizarrely when i started paying i felt like it was less for me and so i stopped paying which was weird yeah. but that's what happened
1: yeah i also read uh, orbital operations i also like warren ellis's style i like um yeah, it's kind of a dark, gritty, uh, humorous, cynical kind of style. I think it's actually quite similar to my writing style. Hmm. Um, I mean, not that I'm anything less talented as Warren Ellis or anything. Just, just as a aside, yeah, uh, I know, tend to be attracted, you know, attracted to that that kind of writing. Um, so I, I, I was, um, I did read a lot about the politics of of him and what happened, and you know, as a uh, yeah don't yeah. really want to talk about it but i do like his writing style and i am uh actually pleased that he's writing again because uh i was i was surprised when the first one came back in my inbox so um yeah. other
0: ones i enjoy Ian burns news um news oh yeah man. digitally
1: literate yep mhm mm-hmm. i enjoy
0: Sentiers. um i enjoy that one i enjoy University of Winds by Mita Williams. Miter Williams. Um I get Cory Doctoro's pluralist one. Um obviously Stephen Downs' OL Daily, because if there was only one newsletter, I'd get that one. Um Kotka's noticing <laughs> like there's just a million. Hacker newsletter, I get it. One called Hacker Newsletter which is all of the top stories on Hacker News every yeah. week.
1: Yeah, and I get that one too. <laughs> think,
0: Why would I subscribe to that when I go to Hacker News every day and I still miss some of the links and yeah. see it? So it's, it's useful. Um, Emma Craig has one. Emma, hi, if you're listening, called Gathered Thoughts. Um, that yeah. often has some interesting stuff. Craig Mod. Um, we're going to have to listen to this back to get all the links.
1: I was also thinking uh, Aaron, I can't remember his last name, who actually included Learn With.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: Davis, yeah. Um, In Australia, I believe. um, Mm -hmm.
0: McKinley Valentine got one called The Whippet. There's one called Kneeling Bus, which I've subscribed to recently. Derek Sivers has one. I'm just literally yeah. scrolling through my inbox. It's
1: Okay, but stop, because we're making a <laughs> no. laundry
0: list. Benedict <laughs> Evans, formerly Andreessen Horowitz, has a, a very kind of capitalist kind of researchy one. Anyway, okay. um, we haven't got very much time left, and there's a few things I think we wanted to mention. You're doing yeah. some work with um, the Open Organization again. You're doing some stuff.
1: Yeah, but I'm gonna save it for next season. Um, I'm writing. Mm. I'm writing a paper with Heather Leeson, who is one of my contemporaries. Has been working a long time uh, inside the International Red Cross Red Shield, and uh, she's been bringing Open to humanitarian organizations. I've also been working in nonprofit between the space between Open and nonprofit for a really long time. So we're writing a paper together, and I'm hoping we can get it done <laughs> and right. mm-hmm. um, actually get it published and talk about it on the show in the next season. And you wanted to mention uh, the Bonfire Project. I think you mentioned it before, but do you want to mention it again? Yeah, so
0: just to remind people, um, Moodle Nets, which is what I was working on 2018 to 2020, was all open source. All of the team and I kind of quit at the same time in 2020. Um, and forked the project, took in a different direction. Um, I have been on the periphery giving some feedback, but not really on the team. They've all been working together, got some funding. And the Zapper project is specifically around thinking about an extension to this kind of federated social network, which would help with disinformation and misinformation. Mm-hmm. So I a wonderful job um, of going to talk to very smart people from like Simply Secure and the New Design Congress and people who are climate scientists and working to help refugees and all that kind of stuff. Um, Working, like talking to them about misinformation and disinformation and how that affects them. And I ended up writing a report, um, which the first version is available in the mind map and all that kind of stuff. So that is there. Um, And as part of that, um, Ivan, who's helping lead that project, the Bombay project, he quoted my stuff around ambiguity around sitting with ambiguity before you decide what it is that you're gonna do um and I realized that he was quoting some stuff which was like more than 10 years old of mine so I ended up writing a blog post on my very neglected ambiguities blog um about sitting with ambiguity for innovation projects or just life in general and different types of ambiguity
1: yeah Um, I read that one
0: (laughs) and also loads of people were talking about crypto and not really getting it and trying to apply it to education and this might have we might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but um, yeah, I wrote a post about defining crypto stuff in a boring way. Have we done
1: way. a crypto episode?
0: Well, I don't know. I, can't I
1: don't know it. either. We should. The only other thing I want to mention
0: <laughs> is that there is a war going on at the moment, as we there probably will be for quite a while. Um, you mentioned Heather Leeson. Um, I've realized there's very little I can do for Ukraine. I'm not up for virtue signaling on social networks about any of this, but I have donated and my kids have donated from their charity kind of savings to the International Red Cross. And there's all kinds of stuff, which is things that we know, but is becomes even more real when it's applied to wartime. Mm. So stuff to do with refugees. And I know that you've um, donated in a very material way. Um, Do you want to talk about that before I talk about...
1: Uh, Well, I mean... I, I live in a city that is only, it's quite close uh, to, I mean, it's not close, it's about eight hours away, but we're kind of one of the, the last German cities um, nestled between the Polish, uh, Polish and the Czech border. Um, so there's a lot of activity and a lot of convoys um, going to try and help people who, who are coming across the border from the Ukraine into other countries in Europe. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'm cool. also not up for virtue signaling on social media. I'm just doing what I can, and also trying to protect my own mental health uh, mm-hmm. with with the situation. Mm-hmm.
0: One of the things that the EFF kind of repurposed was some of their guides from you know what chat apps to use and stuff. And long story short, um, I've had a persistent back channel with my wife for over five years in Telegram. We switched to Signal, um, and the rest of my family to, to Signal because end-to-end encrypted. Um, but yeah, that has been quite a ragbag of stuff we've been talking about. Today. Yeah, I feel like Which we just up. like
1: went through like a giant list of <laughs> links and sharing. It'll be interesting to listen back and see what we if we said anything smart.
0: <laughs> it was a ragbag of random and all the stuff we wanted to talk about in previous episodes, but we didn't get a chance to. So let's end it there. If you have enjoyed this season of the Diary of War, you are very welcome to donate to keep it going um, and also to give feedback and the best place to give feedback is either in our email inbox so doug at we are or laura at we are or indeed podcast at we are anything at we are to be fair will get to us um or you can go to soundcloud and you can click on the very specific part that you want to comment on and you can leave a comment so you could do that too
1: thanks for listening
0: cheers for now